Thank you for joining us on the Anchor Conversations podcast, where we are bringing your Sunday into your weekday. Our goal is to invite you into the conversation that's happening when we're preaching on Sunday mornings by giving you an opportunity to ask questions and to continue to interact with the text through this podcast. Let's get started. Well, good day to everybody. Do you find people out there? Um, this is Jason <laughs> trying to figure out how to start this thing still. I some of the days when I'm uh when I'm supposed to be leading this because Tyler's preaching, <laughs> think about hello, chaps, hello, gentle, gentlemen and women out there. Hopefully everybody out in uh radio land, uh podcast land is having a fine morning, afternoon, or evening. Um how'd that how so do if you're if you're a sports <laughs> fan, there's this concept called tanking. And they'll talk about a race to the bottom. <laughs> and I think what everyone is witnessing over the last number of weeks or hearing, witnessing audibly, is our race <laughs> to the bottom on how we start these things. Hey, listen, <laughs> at, at some point, you know my theory, at some point, it'll get annoying. Um, and then eventually, if we just keep doing it, it'll start to be ironic and kind of be funny. So that's kind of what I'm going for. I feel like yeah. that's a it's a good way to it's a good way to think through these things. I mean, it's a good... It's a good theory to have, really. I'm not sure if it's working. You're probably you're probably out there listening, wherever, however you're listening. You're working, you're in your car, uh, you're doing the dishes. I don't know when you listen to the podcast, but you're probably doing it, shaking your head right now, just thinking, can how come these guys can't figure out how to start this thing? And really, by these guys, it really is me. So it's really the weeks where I'm I'm the one that's leading it because Tyler's preached. Where you should just expect, like, tune in if you're if you're thinking, okay. I want to see if Jason gets better at the intro. Tune in after the week Tyler preaches and we'll kind of track it and see how it goes. So that's where we're at. Anyway, this is Jason and I'm here with Tyler. Tyler, thanks for being here, man. Oh, hey, yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> hey, yeah, welcome. I have you on your podcast. Um, we uh yeah, we are we are actually adjusting our time today. This is a little bit different for us. Normally we we record these. Um, a little bit of inside info here we record these in the afternoons typically on a tuesday um today it's it's lunchtime it's 11 o'clock in the morning on a tuesday so tyler's taking a break here from his his job at lunch break <clears throat> to spend time with you all so he's uh he's kind of given up his lunch break a little bit here for us which is great so thanks for doing that man appreciate you taking a taking some time with us here today in your busy busy day so yeah, appreciate you no spending the time yeah i would i would probably just be working through lunch anyway so you know Oh, nice. way. <laughs> so this is a this is a positive so everything i just said never mind um tyler's just he's just doing this for his own selfish gain apparently there's nothing <laughs> no it's just to say that the 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 to-do list is greater than the hours in the day right now so uh, right. as many can relate to i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure everybody everybody has a little bit of that going on so anyway thank you for being with us for real tyler thank you everybody listening for for jumping in we just started the book of ruth um, we're going to be in Ruth for, I think it's five total weeks. Uh, the whole month of February is going to be Ruth. Um, and so, uh, I'm really looking forward. The more I, the more I read Ruth, the more I'm just kind of delving into studying it. Um, man, there, there is, there's going to be some, there's going to be some good stuff in here for us. And I think, I think a lot of it, everyone, as we're going through it is really gonna, um, be a, a lot of, a, a deeper understanding of, of God's character um and uh who he is and his heart for you 
um, that's that's really, I think, what we're going to be finding out. And it really begin begins in <clears throat> Tyler's sermon, which seems like a very desperate, hopeless situation for the characters involved. So we we just we just uh, went through Ruth one one through five. If you have not listened to that, maybe you were out of town or you didn't get a chance to. Um, you could go listen to it now and then come back and hear this or listen to this first and then go listen to it. But I would really encourage you to listen to the sermon. Um, the, the title of the sermon was When Your Start Stalls. And Tyler, your big idea was God paints masterpieces on the canvas of desperate situations. I thought it was a really good visual. It, it actually reminded me a little bit of like <clears throat> some of those paintings that you kind of see people either throw paint like Jackson Pollock, he's throwing paint on a canvas and you're going, I don't, nothing really looks like it's supposed to be anything, you know? And then you go into the Metropolitan Museum of Art and there's a 20 foot by 20 foot painting by Jackson Pollock that looks amazing. You know, you're like, whoa, this looked like it was chaos. And all of a sudden it's really good. I mean, that's the, that's kind of the visual I had in my mind as you were saying that. Um, <clears throat> we had a, we did have a question get written in that I wanted to throw at you as you're thinking about this here today. Um, the question is, because as we're talking about these things, and we're talking about this desperate situation Naomi's in, where she goes across the Jordan River with her family, Elimelech, her husband, and, and two sons, uh, leaving essentially the prosperity, even though there was a famine, the prosperity that they were experiencing because they were in God's promised land <clears throat> over across the Jordan to, to Moab, where they spent 10 years um, and um, came back kind of empty. But the reason that they left in the first place was there was a famine in the land in this time of the judges, the question is, should Elimelech have stayed in the Bethlehem in, in Bethlehem, even though they were starving or even though there was a famine, you know, would it have been better for him to stay? Um, or did he do the right thing to kind of provide for his family? So any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think as we consider that question, one of the important distinctions we need to make with uh, any, really any Old Testament text we're reading uh, but this one in particular is the way that we think about the relation to the land we live in is going to be very different for us. Um, and so my answer to the question is, yes, he should have stayed. But that doesn't mean that everyone who's experiencing famine in every land should have stayed. The reason why Elimelech should have stayed is because the land they were in is the land that God specifically promised to him and his people, and called them to enter. So those are specific calls and promises from God to a specific people at a specific time in a specific place. <laughs> and all of that's important because like, for instance, if, if you or I were to um, face some sort of similar circumstance, we, um, you know, maybe we lose our job or something economically happens for us here in Arizona. And the only prospects we have are in New Mexico, it's not unfaithful to move to New Mexico because God has not clearly specifically promised and called us to this land. Um, now, you know, any circumstance you could face, like that's that's true. You want to look at what is specific to the situation. So uh, for Elimelech, he was called there and um, the the famine was either brought about by this conquest due to the people's rebellion in which case the right faithful step for him would have been stay in the land and repent with my people we as a community need to repent and turn back to god 
and I need to stay and do that with my people. Or God brought famine even during a time of faithfulness. God allowed that to happen for whatever reason, and the right call would have been to stay with his people, contribute to the good of the whole, pray to God with them. It, it would have been to look to God to solve their problem, not take it into his own hands. Because again, specific promises at a specific time in a specific place. So yeah, I think that the right call would have been to stay, and it's because he was called there. Um, and so that, that's a little bit weird for us to translate because we go, well, I mean, he's starving. He just wants to eat. Yeah, we just can't forget that that land is the promised land, the land that God called them to go into and inhabit. Um, and so to dip out on that is to really turn your back on that call to be a part of God's people, to be in the place where God wants you. Um, so there's some, I guess, some more specific uh, calling for him there um, that that I think, yeah, he should have stayed. I think he should have stayed and, and contributed to the repentance of his people, or he should have stayed and contributed to uh, the betterment of the whole as they call out to God together for um, for relief from the famine, to stay and use his gifts to contribute to uh, helping others. Yes, he should have stayed, in my opinion. And there's even, you know, as I was kind of studying the text, you know, there's some difference of opinion there um, from different scholars on how harsh we should be on Elimelech. Um, I think I'd fall in the camp of, no, I, I think he should have stayed. Um, I think that the promises of God and the calling of God were clear for him. Um, and again, and, and that's why I tried to draw out, you know, faith, taking faithful steps sometimes is unreasonable because you go, well, God, uh, you take something, for instance, like maybe generosity and you go, wow, God's called me to be generous, to care for the the poor and the widow and the orphan and to care for those in need around me well what if what if my budget is really really tight does that negate the call of god no it might just look different for you but it doesn't negate the call of god it doesn't mean move move away from the call of god it means stay and figure out how you can still um follow god in the midst of your circumstances and i think that would have been the call for elimelech um so that's my two cents on it mm -hmm. I think that there's, I think that there's, it, it is, it is difficult for us to understand some of the old Testament ways in which the Lord calls his people or, or treats the people because it, it was very much, um, before, before the, before the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus, there was certain expectations put on the people for not just holiness, you know, you had the temple, you had the sacrifices, you had the things that they were doing, but, but also on things like, um, representation. So even, even the judges were essentially the represent representatives of the people in some ways. I mean, the Kings definitely became that when the Kings were there, but there, there is something unique about the calling of God into the people in the promised land. Actually, I think as we get into um, Ruth, if we could make maybe a correlation, because I, I wonder if sometimes in our own minds, let me get back to the correlation. Sometimes in our own minds, we see this call and the the call to stay and him, you know, staying in this, this area of promise. Um, if we see that as God being harsh, when things go wrong, poorly, when they leave the land, it's almost like a, a retri retribution or some sort of God being a punisher of them. 
um, or God dealing with them negatively to change their behavior, which sometimes I think, I think we can feel that in the old Testament. And I understand why, because we can see those things, but we have to remember that God's character never changes. So the question is, is that the heart behind the Lord's dealing with Elimelech and Naomi and their sons in the land of Moab? I think the correlation I was going to mention a second ago, that I think as we get into Ruth and even chapter, <clears throat> the rest of chapter one, a good correlation perhaps would be the parable of the um, prodigal son. There, there's something where um, if we kind of relate it to that, there, there's a there's a prosperity that I think Naomi and Elimelech had. We're going to see it in this week because they they were known. There was something about them in Bethlehem. People knew who they were. There was they seemed to have a prosperity there. And when things started to to land poorly for them, they tried they got out of there and they went somewhere else. Very similar to and and the land of God is where the is where the promises are. It's where he says, I'm going to dwell among you. Um, it's, it's essentially what they did was they left the presence of the father. They said, I'm going to go try and find my own way outside of the promised land. <clears throat> God's not absent in Moab, by the way. Ma Naomi says that Na he was there the whole time. Um, he was in Egypt with the people. He'll be in Babylon with the people. So he's not absent in Moab, but his promises and his his, if you take the prodigal son, the house and the blessing and the feasts and all of that are there. Even in a, even in a season of, of famine, God's promises remain where he is. And so you can kind of take a look at Elimelech and Naomi and the sons as the, the prodigal son who goes, they go out from the presence and in circumstantially, they're experiencing all sorts of trouble and hardship. And if you think about the prodigal son, it's not that the, the father and the prodigal son is trying to figure out, hey, who can I call to make sure his life's miserable? They they just, go, he goes out from that place and he finds difficulty away from the Lord. Um, and so when, when Naomi comes back, it's almost like the prodigal returning. Um, and so I think that we're going to see a little bit more of that this week and the kindness of God to... Um, to bring her to a place, you know, she, she sees it as God's against her. I don't think that's how God sees it. Um, I don't think God would see it that way. And I don't think we're going to see in Ruth that God didn't see it that way. Actually, God was with her. And actually, uh, that's helpful for us to remember too, because I think we can view it like he's against us, punishing us against it, instead of being, no, he, he is with us. He is for us. What he wants to, us to experience in him is the fullness of his love and joy that he has like the prodigal son. So anyway, that, that would be the only thing that I would add to that, Tyler, as we're thinking through it. Um, yeah. Let me just throw a, a note on that too. You know, I think a lot of times when we experience God's discipline um, or God's judgment, which for us, I think judgment has, is a little bit loaded, um, but discipline maybe is a little bit uh, easier, to, uh, more in line with what God's doing there. But when we experience God's discipline, like Naomi did, or uh, like so many people throughout the scriptures have, the people of God do in the book of Judges. Um, and when we experience that, we can look at it and say, God doesn't want me to have good things. And I think the way we need to actually see it is God doesn't want me to settle for lesser things. And so when God brings uh, that discipline, it's because the people are settling for lesser things. And so God removes those lesser things so that they'll cry out to him and find the best thing, which is life with him. And so that was the opportunity for Elimelech and his family too, that the people of God in this time of judges had settled for lesser things. 
which is the, the things that we want. The lesser thing that they settled for was prosperity. And once they got there, they settled for it and they began worshiping other gods. And God removes that prosperity, not because he doesn't want them to have good things, but because he wants them to have the better thing, which is him. Uh, better to be poor and starving and with the Lord than be prosperous and without him. And so if God brings them to that place, then that's an opportunity for faithfulness to go, oh, yes, this is the place where God promised to meet me. I'm going to stay here and be with him because being with him is worth more than the other things that I want. And so that's that's God's heart, I think, in discipline. We experience that too. And we we go, what? God doesn't, God's against me or God doesn't want me to have fill in the blank. And I think, you know, you're right. It's the heart of the father to go, no, it's not that I don't want you to have fill in the blank. It's that I want you to have the best thing, which is me. And sometimes I've got to remove those other things for you to experience that. Yeah. And I think, I wonder if discipline can be even a loaded word in our context. Cause I wonder if we all have, have a different perspective on what discipline is and looks like. Um, especially if maybe you grew up with a harsh family discipline looks, it's mean spirited. Like sometimes discipline can come from anger. Um, so I don't know a better word for that. I mean, I think discipline is a good word, but you know, maybe, maybe a better thing is, is, um, he, he wants us to in, in any type of situation where he might, um, you know, remove, remove the, the, remove the feeling or the experience of his presence. I don't think he ever leaves us. He says he's not going to, or maybe we're, we're experiencing something, you know, um, that's, that's hard. Like for example, um, in first Corinthians, when he says that if we take the Lord's supper in a way, he, some of his people have gotten sick, you know, maybe there's something there where I, I, I don't think that's in an angry fatherly who gets angry and abusive kind of way. It's in a loving posture of patience. That's, and that's the thing where we, we have to make sure. And, and I, you know, as you think as a church about this, you have to make sure that you're grasping the God of the old Testament has the exact same posture, heart, patience, desires as Jesus did. When you see Jesus, the God who here is dealing with Naomi is the same God who dealt with Peter when he denied him three times. Um, and Jesus didn't crush him. He, he, he let him find himself to the place of, I mean, he, I, Jesus knew it was coming, right? <laughs> he, he knew it was coming. He watched it and he's not pushy. He's just going, he, Peter is going to understand in his own timing when he's ready to understand what's going on. And, um, he, he, he watched it happen. So Naomi and the family is over in Moab for 10 years. Who knows? Maybe the Lord was like, you know, Kilion and, and Elimelech and the you know, the sons, you know, they're going to die. Maybe they would have died in Israel at the same time. I don't know. Like it would, it just would have been like when, if she was there, then it would have been easier because they would have been, she would have been around people, but they didn't, they were resisting. Maybe the Lord was calling them to come back and they weren't. And who knows what he was doing in Elimelech's life. We can get a very singular focus on ourselves where we go, God's working in me and he must be, you know, my sons and my husband died because of me. I'm the central focus here of everything. And he wasn't doing anything in their lives and he's not working there. Well, God's working in all of their lives. So he's doing something in Elimelech's life. Who knows what it was? Um, did he kill, you know, did Elimelech die because of his disobedience? Well, I don't know. I mean, we look at the New Testament and we have the blind person and the People are asking, hey, are you blind because of your parents or because of your sin? And Jesus is like, neither one. 
like that's not that's not what's going on here you know who knows and so i just think we need we need to be careful how we even think about those things you know god is god is at work but it's always always because you are the beloved one of him it's always because he loves you um it doesn't feel like that sometimes um and i get that but but that's the truth and the reality of the bible which brings me to the second a second question um for you tyler just to this is a more of a clarification i think what we're talking about here brings the clarification you you made a kind of a passing statement i just wanted to make sure that we all understand it um you said um barrenness is often a sign of judgment as well. So I just wanted you to clarify that because if there's people out here that can't have children, does that mean that's a judgment of them? Or can you just clarify what you meant by that, even in its Old Testament context, or even the perception of those things? Like, how should we be thinking about that? Yeah, so there's a couple of streams there. So there, there is, um, and I'm glad you asked me to clarify that because, um, so when I say a sign of judgment, um, I'm talking both in their context. So for the people of Naomi and Ruth and Elimelech, people of that time, for them, uh, I think that barrenness would have been a really clear sign of a curse or judgment upon you. Even, even the, the Moabites would have said, yes, the God, the fertility God that we worship, you've done something to upset that God clearly. And which is why you're barren. Um, now, at the same time, you also find in the Old Testament that uh, God closes up wombs at times, and there is there is a a reality of and again that's why judgment is such a hard word. Discipline I, I do like better because it's you know the root of disciple is you know this idea of God is using things in our lives to bring us to a point of of growth. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a reality there where, where, where we see that happening. God can open the womb. God can close the womb. Um, like for Naomi or for Ruth, excuse me, in particular, we're going to find by the end of the book that she is having a baby Obed. So why couldn't she for 10 years with Kilion? Uh, I don't know. Right. Um, but I think the people around her, uh, would have certainly recognized, well, there's, there's some sort of. Um, judgment from the gods, the the Moabites, um, and even from Israel, when they saw someone was barren, they would say, uh, "Is this is this a judgment? What have you done?" I mean, it's, you know, what you just talked about with the the blind man. What sin did you commit? And again, now Jesus will come and say, "No, it's not about what sin you know you've committed. It's this is about God doing a work in your life, and um, whether that's through." Uh, a kid or not, God's doing a work in your life. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I, I wouldn't want us to look at that and go, oh man, I'm struggling with infertility. What sin is in my life that God is judging me for? Um, but I do still think it is an opportunity to grow closer with the Lord. Um, so any trial like that is an opportunity, any health struggle is an opportunity to lean into the Lord, to go closer with the Lord but I wouldn't say that it correlates to judgment for your sin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good. No, that's good. Yeah. I think that there, there was a, a, a lot of perceptions in the old Testament of God, God judging or something. I mean, listen, let's just be really honest here. Cause I, I know that this is probably going to be one of those things that are going to be questions as we come. Along. And if you have them ask, ask them the old Testament's difficult in some ways, some ways 
It's not. Um, most ways, actually, it's not. If we can, if we look at the Old Testament through the lens of the Gospels, uh, the death, the, the birth, death, resurrection of Jesus, and we can look back through it, and we can see a lot of things. It's like, it's like, oh, I understand more about what's going on. Even in even in Ruth, we're going to see that because in some ways, Ruth functions um, as a as a I don't want to say a Christ-like figure to Naomi, but in some ways she does um, in her kindness. Um, Boaz does as well. And so we're going to see a lot of that going on here. Here's where it becomes difficult is reconciling some of the perceptions and the judgment of the Old Testament. Because like Tyler, you did a really good job of saying this in the judges. It's cyclical. So are all the prophets. If you have a hard time reading the prophets, you read Jeremiah or Lamentate, I mean, Jeremiah or Isaiah or, you know, Habakkuk or Nahum or some of those ones you've probably never read, maybe because you're like, I don't know how to read these. You know, they all really function similarly. It's very much like, hey, there's a call to repentance because the people are sinning. Um, they're faithless. Um, there's a there's a promise of future judgment. And then there's typically also a promise of forgiveness and those things go throughout. And so we look at that and I think we can think, well, that's how God deals with me. He deals with me with, he calls me to obey him. It's a zero sum argument. If I don't, then I'm going to get punished. And if I do, then I'm fine. I'm somehow in his back in his good graces. The difference is, remember in the old Testament, there was covenants made the covenants that were made for, for faith faithfulness to the Lord. He would be faithful to them and they would be faithful to him. And there was ways that, you know, there had to be sacrifices. There was no other means of forgiveness, <clears throat> faithfulness. Faith has always been the issue with the Lord. And that's actually, faith has always been the issue that leads to covenant relationship with him and being the beloved of him. Like he, he desires more than anything, not your obedience, David says, but your hearts. He, he wants intimacy with you. Um, I'm reading a really good right now, a really good commentary on the Song of Songs, which is about sex and marriage, but even more so, it's about the the relationship that we have with Jesus as the church and the bride of Christ. I mean, I think we can gather that the beloved, he delights in you. So I think that that as we think about that, the difference between the New Testament, where we live now in the church age, and the Old Testament is that the judgment that was happening was to rescue the people. It was actually based out of love for them. Otherwise, they would have gone off and done their own thing and married everybody and done all of this stuff and turned from the Lord and, you know, evil Kings and all this stuff. And salvation history would have been absolutely derailed because they would have intermarried and there wouldn't have been tribes and the tribe of Judah wouldn't have been pure and all this stuff. And God's saying, no, I love the people too much. Actually, I love, I love both you as the people of Israel and the future church way too much. To let that happen. It's so there's judgment coming. And it, so there's this promise of judgment in this call. We have to, we just have to, our Old Testaments, um, you know, we we want to see the, the God of the New Testament is the same as the God of the Old Testament. He just relates with, with um, forgiveness and judgment differently because the death of Christ and his resurrection hadn't happened yet. And so there's, there's this, there's this reality for the people of the Old Testament that they are working hard to find it. And you know what the answer is? They can't work hard enough, which is why Jesus is arriving and he, which is why he dies for us. Well, we live in the good of that. Um, and so we live on the side of, we, we just, we trust in him and that is a, it's a different kind of thing. Um, so good. Thank you for answering that Tyler. Um, that's really helpful. I think as we think through it, um, the perceptions of, of those things, 
Uh, one more thing that I want to hit here today. One of your one of your um, live it out points <clears throat> was we want to be aware of the subtle slide of convenience, and I think that that also would probably lead into also redefining our desperate situations. I mean, as we think about the the beware word, you know, an awareness. We want to have an awareness, um, both of our desire for convenience and also of our viewing of desperate situations. We have, we want to have an awareness of what, maybe what God's up to, or maybe what we don't see God doing. And I just wonder, as you're thinking about the text that you preached, what kind of awareness do you think in those situations, in that situation she was in, would have helped Naomi to, to properly frame perhaps the situation that she was in? Like as she's thinking about her awareness, not as so much in the convenience side, because she might not have seen that. Maybe that would have been the case too, but definitely in the desperate nature of her situation, what kind of awareness would have helped her? And then also with that, um, how can that also speak to us in certain situations? What kind of awarenesses or things that as we should be framing stories in our lives, what awareness would I think help us? So any, any thoughts on that? Hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, what comes to mind immediately is an, an awareness of the um, the relational nature of God and his commitment to his redemptive plan. So I think with Naomi, um, where you really find her at her lowest is when, you know, she says, don't, don't call me Naomi, any, Naomi anymore. Um, I'm bitter. And, and, and Naomi, um, I'm trying to remember the exact translation, but it, it means it relates to, Naomi means like sweet or pleasant. So yeah, sweet or pleasant. Thank you. Yeah. So so she's like, don't call me that anymore. Call me uh, Mara, right? Is what she wants to be called because that means bitter, um, and be, because the the Lord has dealt bitterly with me, and and I think that where where it relates it actually relates to what we just talked about with the the judgment and the closing of wombs and things like that. Discipline is she maybe had a view of God that was similar to the gods of Moab, which is he's a god who needs to be appeased, and as long as I appease him, things will go well for me. And that is not true of God. Um, he's not looking to be appeased. He's looking for a relationship. God is all about relationship. God built you, made you, created you to be with him. Uh, same is true of Naomi. He created her to be with him. And that's all he's after. <laughs> so um, when when you think about, um, you know, th these circumstances that she faces, which I don't know how many of them were brought about by her choices or not, or whatever. None of that even matters. God used people, Abraham being one of them, the father of, of, of the Israelites was not a perfect guy. And yet God still blessed him. Um, you know, Abraham was a liar and Abraham had his own uh, drift into convenience where he just wanted to get through it and, and, and not be exposed and, and all those things. Jacob's the same way. One of the fathers of Israel, like that dude, was a scumbag in some ways. Um, so she needed that perspective to go, okay, God is about my heart and me walking with him and us as a people walking with him. And so everything he's doing in my life is to that end. And I don't understand how he's going to get me to that end. I don't understand why he had to do uh, this circumstance or that to get me to that end. But I trust that his heart is, is pure and good. I trust that his intention is for me to walk with him and I can still be Naomi in the midst of my circumstances because 
God has brought about these circumstances in order to bring me to himself. And for that, I have joy. I'm not a bitter person. Um, so I think, I don't know if that all makes sense, but I think that's the, you know, kind of the the perspective that might've been helpful for her as she was walking through that. Also, you know, would have been helpful for her family. They may have never gotten to the point where they felt like they had to fend for themselves if they if they would have really embraced that. And I think the same is true for us. You know, we get to a place of, of fear or despair, feeling like we have to fend for ourselves because we've our, our view of God has changed from relational loving father to God who needs to be appeased. And quite honestly, we just can't do that. We, we cannot appease a God uh, who, um, who, who requires perfection. And who is perfect? We can't. And he actually isn't calling us to. Um, so I, yeah, that's a weird calling for the Old Testament, right? Because she doesn't have the lens of Jesus to look through. But as you said, the heart of God is the same. Also, just objectively, the blood of an animal is not going to atone for my sin either, you know, uh, but God has allowed it. Why? Because he wants relationship with me. And so that speaks to his heart. And that was the invitation for her too. Good, man. That's great. Um, anything else? Anything else in the last minute or two that we have here that you wanted to mention, or I think we hit a lot. So, yeah, no, I think we hit a lot there. Um, yeah, I think that it's uh, it's important for us to yeah just get get to the heart of God and 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 really pursue that. And I think the book of Ruth does that because um, you know as we'll get into Ruth is really one that why would God have a heart for her? You know. Mm -hmm uh from from any like practical standard or understanding of you know um the way that we look at the world or even that they would have looked at the ancient world mm -hmm. there was no reason for god to choose her um to to have such a, an important role in redemptive history which she does yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no for sure both naomi and ruth yeah i mean i mean, I mean yeah. ruth isn't even an israelite she's a right. moabite Right. So, yeah. And all of a sudden she's about to have a baby that's going to be in, you know, in the Davidic, like David's coming from, from the, the line of Boaz and Esther and um, Ruth, you know, right. I almost said Esther uh, and Ruth. And so, you know, I mean, man, I, there are a million things God's doing. So I would maybe encourage you if you're listening to this and you're wondering what's God doing in my life, I would say, I don't know, but I do know this. Um, his plans for you are perfect and they're based out of love for you. Um, maybe he's allowing you to go on a, on a season where you're, you're not leaning into him for a season. I, he's just, maybe he's removed some of the, the feeling of his presence or something from you, not because he's mad, but because he loves you and he wants you to come, come back and he wants you to see him in a new way. And his blessings for you are there. They're waiting for you. Um, it's just a matter of, of how long we resist it, you know, and how long we stay away. So that's, uh, that's good. So looking forward to the, this, this series, it's going to be great. Um, we're, uh, we're going to be in it for a few more weeks. And if you have any questions about even like, com you know, commentaries or something, please come ask us. I mean, there's some really good books to help you unpack Ruth, um, as you're going through it. Um, maybe you could read those along with us and, and then we can go that way. So anyway, yeah, there, there is so much, so much depth to the book of Ruth that it's crazy because it's such a short book, but we're not like, there's just so much there that we're not going to hit because we don't have time yeah, to, we can't, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm sure my sermon was longer than it should have been this week and it could have been even longer. I had a, a lot that I cut out even yeah. while I was preaching. I skipped over notes that I had in front of me because I was looking at the time going, yeah, 
We'll, we'll have to skip that for now. <laughs> those poor, those um, poor kids, ministry workers, they need me to stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's a lot there. So, you know, yeah, I would just encourage everyone. Um, let's dig into it together. Um, let's ask good questions and, and yeah. um, there's a lot for us there. Yeah, it's going to be good. All right, everybody looking forward to it. Please, please come Sunday for the second sermon here in Ruth. Looking forward to spending some time with you. Have a great rest of the week. See ya. Thank you for taking the time to join us today as we brought your Sunday into your weekday. Our hope and prayer is that you continue pressing into the Lord and applying the Bible to your life as you seek to honor Jesus as King. We'd encourage you to continue this conversation with God through reading the Word and praying and to continue this conversation with other Christians at your anchor huddles and your anchor communities. We look forward to worshiping King Jesus with you this Sunday and to talking to you again on the podcast next week.